This particular parable is by far looked on as one of the most difficult parables in the whole Bible. Commentary after commentary says, we really don't know what the Lord was thinking when he said this. You know, uh, because if you just take the parable in and of itself, what do you have? You have a bad guy, and then you have uh, his boss, who is made out to be just as bad as he is. And the one bad guy is commending the other bad guy for being slick. And uh, they really don't know what to do with this. And yet, uh, they try. And so, uh, uh, in commentary and after commentary, this is the basic uh, result that comes out of that. The thing is, is that when you look at this whole passage, the bottom line is all of life, including business practices, need to be handled under the authority and the guidance and the reign of God, acknowledging that you have one life, not three. There's so many people that live their lives. They have their, there's their business life, and then there's their personal life, and then there's their Christian life. And many times the three do not touch. And the thing is, is that he is making it clear, if you read all the way through here, that uh, pleasing God must be the bottom line, no matter which area of life you're dealing with at that time. We have one life. Now, this is the sort of thing uh, Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby both come under attack all the time because their leadership endeavors to follow Christian principles and uphold Christian values. They acknowledge God's reign over their business. And because of that, Chick-fil-A's been booted out of at least two airports that I know of, San Antonio and Buffalo. And uh, they're always, this just one thing after another happening. But the thing is, whenever you apply God's principles, and I, I don't even like to put it that way, when you live your life endeavoring to please God in your business life, he blesses. Uh, and I, 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 I thought of one particular situation that uh, whenever I was going through my faith development, I had come to the place where I realized that God's stuff was important and that his ways were better than my ways. Even when, This is back when I was in the insurance claims profession. Now, some people think that claims adjusters are just terrible people. They think they're out to just cheat everybody. But I'm not going to go through. My job, I finally realized, was to make sure everybody got exactly what they had coming to them. 
Some people got sent away for two to five years in prison because they were uh, frauds and they were trying to steal from, uh, from, from, from my company. Uh, others got more than what they thought they should. But the thing is, the one case that really came to mind was uh, whenever I had uh, other adjusters working for me. And uh, anyway, this company that I was working for, I'm trying not to name names, had a bad reputation. They were considered to be just hard-nosed and, 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 and just out to cheat people, it seems like. And that's not that wasn't a good business ethic, and I didn't operate under that. And we had a situation that came up where a store owner wound up being robbed. He wasn't robbed; it was a burglary, and his loss was about I think it was four hundred and ten dollars. And we paid his loss, and he was grateful and all. And then about seven months later, he was burglarized again, and this loss. Man, they cleaned him out. It's about a six thousand dollar loss at that time, uh, and that would be about in the equivalent of today's dollars, about twenty five thousand dollars that they'd stolen from him. And in this, just a little shop, and there was something not right about this. And so I had my adjuster go out and really dig, and my adjuster didn't like doing that. He didn't like all the work I was putting him to, but something just wasn't sounded right here. And where this merchandise was, it's like it was more than would even fit. And so I had him measure the space where the merchandise was supposed to be and then measure how much that merchandise should cover. And uh, yeah, it'll just barely fit, but it'll fit. He had to have to stop, but yeah, it fit. Can I pay the claim? No, no. Now I want you to go back and check his receipts against the receipts of his vendors. And then I get a call back. And my adjuster was so excited. He was laughing. He said, man, you won't believe and he'd read out an invoice for $9.10. And they'd say, and the thing is, the employee, the store owner turned in a, a, a receipt that says $119.10. And he had padded every receipt to show that he had bought more stuff than he really had. And so his it, it became clear from all the evidence he had had another robbery, another burglary. He was in a bad part of town. It was going to happen to him. But the thing is, his loss wasn't nearly as much as what he turned in. So we had him turn in a sworn proof of loss that, yes, this is how much was taken from me. And then we had all the evidence that showed that that's, that could not possibly have been taken from him. And so we told him at that point in time, sorry, sir, we, uh, we can't pay this. It appears that just from doing the calculations on your own stuff, this is what you're due. And it was about $600. And we're willing to pay you your true loss, but we're not going to pay you this other. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself because whenever it got discovered that this guy was uh, 
padding the books and all. And uh, my, my manager got really excited. He, he'd never caught a crook before. And he was all excited. And so we wound up uh, getting this proof of loss. And you see, false swearing is two to five years in prison. And so we had him. But then we told him, this is what your loss was. This is what we'll pay. Ah, he ran off and got a lawyer. And he was going to sue us and get that and get damages and all sorts of stuff. And I told my adjuster, just go out there and tell him, show him what you got. Okay. So he went back out there. And my adjuster, who had been so foot dragging and doing this deal the way I wanted it done. He was so proud when he came back in because the attorney said, I can't believe you guys are so nice. I wouldn't have been this nice to him. I just sent my client up the river. And uh, the thing is that our company got such good press out of this guy's dishonesty. Do you see that? Uh, and this is just it. Is that uh, now my boss, he was wanting to string him up too. You know, I said, look, look, how are we going to get, how's it going to look if we do that? It's going to, they're just going to be confirming everything everybody always says about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, we went along with that and everything was fine. Now this is in the real world. And the thing is, God's stuff works best in the real world, in the, even in the business world, when you're willing to do it his way. And yet so many people don't want to do it that way. But that's one of the things that Jesus says, is he says that worldly people, they know how to get their ducks in a row in order to protect themselves and help each other out. Christian people don't seem to want to do that. Sometimes religious people don't take a cue and they need to take a cue from the world. Sometimes worldly people can be a whole lot nicer to each other than religious people. And so this is the way that this is one of the takes on this particular passage. And that's the way that everybody always takes it and all. But you know, that's not what it's really all about. If you look at this, if, I, I encourage you, always take the Bible in context. Don't just take just one parable. Yes, you can get good feed, good meat out of one parable. But do you remember where this story began, where this account began? It began back where Jesus was out teaching and preaching. And in 15.1, we read these verses. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming to listen to him. The tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to drumble, saying, This man receives sinners and even eats with them. Like that was a horrible, horrible thing. And so Jesus, it says, so he told them this parable saying. So he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And then he gives us the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And remember at the end of the story of the lost son, the elder brother is standing outside angry because the younger son has been received back into the fold. And the elder brother doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And so he is dishonoring his father by not coming in to a public feast, to a table where the father's family and close friends are all there to celebrate and be together. And the elder brother has now put himself in a spot to where if he's not careful, he's going to be disowned. And if he is disinherited, who do you think is going to get his inheritance? The younger brother that squandered his own because he'll be the only heir left. Now that's justice, isn't it? But the thing is, the elder brother, if you'll recall, we went through this quite a while back. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. The younger brother, the tax collectors and the sinners. I'll stop right here. I've got a, I discovered something else. I never even noticed this before. You know, there are three different types of sinners. Have you ever noticed that? And because we just lump them all together, Sometimes we get confused because here Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners and, uh, and he's just rubbing elbows with them. And then we have Paul telling us, don't have anything to do with those, with those bad people. And it can get confusing unless you realize there are three different types of sinners. First of all, there are those sinners, they know they're sinners. They know God doesn't like it and they don't care. They are in God's face and they don't care if they go to hell. They're going to do what they're doing when they want to do it. And I'll just let it go with that. But they have a bad attitude toward God and uh, a really great attitude toward themselves. So there's those that don't that, that, that know and don't care. Then there are others who don't know that they're not in a good standing with God. They don't know that they should even care. And then there are those that know that they are separated from God by their sin. And they care. And they wish there was something that they could do about it, but they don't know what to do. Do you see? Three different categories. These Tax collectors and sinners were this third category. They knew they were separated from God and they longed to be reconciled to God. But these scribes and Pharisees kept them away and pushed them further and further away. And then Jesus comes along and he brings them in. And so they are happy. They are rejoicing. But... The scribes and the Pharisees are really not happy at all. Just like the elder brother, they're standing outside the feast, grumbling. You see, it began at a table. It began with Jesus fellowshipping with those who had now been reconciled 
to God. That these people, these scribes and Pharisees, were ostracizing and wouldn't let in. And so when you get to this particular parable and you look at who these people are, let's remember who's listening. You've got the tax collectors and the sinners. You've got the disciples. And you've got some people that are just curious. And then you've got the scribes and the Pharisees. And we know they're still listening because at the end of this passage, it says they scoffed. They sneered because he was talking about this connection between how you handle ill-gotten gain even and the kingdom of God. And they didn't like that at all. Because you see, later on, he's going to refer to some of their practices. They would cheat widows. It says they were, they were those that devour widows' houses. They would take uh, advantage of those who were in financial trouble. And instead of helping them out, they'd help them out by buying their property at bargain basement prices or loan them money and then evict them. So you see, they, he's, and this is just it. The unjust steward, that's the scribes and the Pharisees. And the owner is God. And the area that he has uh, been placed in charge of is the kingdom of God. The scribes and the Pharisees had been entrusted with God's kingdom. And they were supposed to be getting people in connection to God, not excluding them from God. And so here, whenever you look at it from this standpoint, you see that the... Uh, Scribes and the Pharisees are being warned by Jesus. He's saying there's one time, there's going to come a time when you're going to be given an accounting. And he's telling them, you have an opportunity right now to straighten things out. Just like the master of the unjust steward commended the unjust steward for the way that he handled things. And let me, let me back up and say, you know, how he handled things was that he put his master in a good light. Have you noticed that? That's one of the things. He really got the master in a good, he got, it, he got his master good too. Because you see, uh, he asked for an accounting. He goes and he discounts the debt to these people. And that puts the unjust steward in a good place with them so that he can count on them to help him whenever he's down and out. But the thing is, he also put his master in a good light because he was representing his master when he offered the discounts. So the master either has to take the goodwill that's now being thrown his way, or he can say, no, no. You still owe me that other part that this guy did. But see, that wasn't going to work because this guy was acting officially in his behalf. And so he put his master in a very tickly spot. But the master liked it. He liked the PR he got out of it. He liked the way things were going. And he's making it clear, my heavenly father will like it. If you will take this wealth 
that you've accumulated in bad ways and start using it rightly in the eyes of God. And what did they do? Scoffed and sneered. Which group of sinners do you think the scribes and the Pharisees are in? Are they those that know and don't care? Or are they those that don't know because they've just been brought up in this environment and it hasn't dawned on them? Or are they those that know and care and want and know that they're separated? I think there's all three kinds in there. Just like, let's face it, there's all three kinds in our religious leadership today. There are those that are just in it just to get what they can get out of it. There are those that are that are just going along with the way things have always been and just haven't known what was going on. And there are those that feel estranged from God and want to be drawn back. Bottom line of all of this, when you look at all four of these parables, is the fact that God loves each one of you. No matter where you are in this spectrum, no matter whether you're a leader or one who is on the outside wishing you would be invited in. And you've got to remember also that, yeah, it's one lost sheep this week. It's probably going to be another one next week. You know, uh, it's not going to be the same one sheep over and over. Some people, uh, the thing is that, that doesn't, just because he goes looking for the one doesn't mean he doesn't care for those that are in the fold. Just because he care, the lady cares for the coin that's missing doesn't mean she doesn't care about all those others. Just because the father cares about, about the younger son doesn't mean he doesn't care and love the older son. He cares and loves from all. And just like I said, it began at a table. 